Welcome back to the Gear Nashley Mullet Show. This is Gear Nashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 158 of season 3, 223 of the Gear Nashley Mullet Show. Today is October 6th, 2021, and it is a Wednesday. I have not been podcasting as much here lately as you who listen to this podcast regularly, no doubt, are already aware. But I got news yesterday morning that it looks like, again, my former schedule or something approximating my former schedule at work is back again. It's been on again, off again. A bit of a roller coaster, which I can't get into too much on the podcast But suffice to say, there's been some negotiating and there's been some going back and forth and me trying to get uh, the liberty, freedom that I once had back is a challenge. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode is how do we regain liberties and freedoms that are lost? Once they're gone... How do you get them back? And sometimes it might seem you can't. Plain and simple, you can't. Once they're gone, they're gone. Uh, What are the dynamics that feed into that? Because that's something that we're dealing with on the macro level right now. In America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, we're seeing a lot of liberties called into question because there's a cost. Because there's a trade-off. Of course there's a trade-off. But the folks who are doing the taking are not looking at the cost-benefit on removing liberties too often. Too often, we're not looking at taking people's liberties away as having a cost. We think of a benefit, and particularly when you get people who are in a position of power and they want more power, They are looking at the benefit to the collective, the benefit to the organization, the benefit to society of curtailing liberty, but they're not looking at the cost. So let's just take, for instance, freedom of speech. People have a freedom in this country historically for two and a half centuries, at least, to be able to speak freely. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no cost. There is a cost to exercising your freedom of speech. You might say some dumb things, for instance. People might not like you very much, for instance. You might pay a social cost at all times, in all places, regardless what laws are on the books or aren't. You will pay a cost for exercising freedom of speech. You just will. Now, sometimes that cost has to be paid because what needs saying is more imperative than the cost of saying something. There's a cost to not exercising your freedom of speech, but there's also a cost to exercising it. So I'm looking at a headline here, and I won't go into the article. I'm just looking at the headline because this is indicative of the kinds of headlines that we're seeing here lately. Actually, there's several 
at thedailywire.com this morning. One of them, without even having to scroll down, report college students under investigation for China kinda sus stickers. Sus, for those of you who are a little older, who aren't up with the current lingo, sus is short for suspicious. Suspicious, or suspicious, if you will, since I emphasized a syllable oddly there. Sus. There's this game, Among Us, that my kids tell me about. And this game is kind of two-bit. It's not real high graphical quality, but it's a multiplayer game in which you have a form of clue, like the old board game Clue, where it's a whodunit mystery. Somebody has committed a murder, and you got to figure out who the murderer is, as I understand it. And once you think you've got this person figured out, you say they're, they're looking kind of sus. And China kind of sus is a way of saying China is being suspicious here. We think they done, they, they done it. Who done it? China done it. Uh, but nevertheless, China aside, whatever we think about the situation with COVID and major American institutions censoring their members, you know, NBA players or coaches of NFL teams or movie stars or what have you, criticizing or contradicting the Chinese Communist Party is grounds for at least disciplinary action, corrective scolding, shaming, canceling in a lot of major American institutions that want access to the markets of China. They don't want to be shut out of China. And so they're willing to prostitute themselves in the name of their greed. Because they want the money and they want it now, they're willing to do the dirty work of the Chinese Communist Party. Which means that for all intents and purposes, the Chinese Communist Party is calling the shots in American institutions, major American institutions. Even to the point that college students who are passing out stickers for China kind of sus are being investigated, which is supposed to have a chilling effect. That's supposed to discourage other people from saying similar things. Let's not let this get out of hand. Let's not say things like that. Why? Presumably racism. But really, it's not about racism. It's about Marxism. It's about don't go criticizing these communists over there because the communists over here want to do a similar thing. And if you go criticizing the communists over there, well then, where does it stop? Next thing you know, you don't want Marxism here in America either. Can't have that. If I scroll down a little bit, I noticed this one before I started my podcast this morning. We've got a quote-unquote activist, whistleblower, supposed whistleblower, who works for Facebook or has worked for Facebook, demanding that Congress regulate social media platforms. Now, why is it that she wants them regulated? It's not because they're censoring conservatives too much. It's because they're not censoring conservatives enough. The platform is a hotbed of radical ideas like America was founded in 1776, for instance, like the Bill of Rights 
and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are good documents. Not perfect, not holy, not inspired, not the Word of God, but they're good documents, and we like them, and we want to keep them. If you go saying those sorts of things on social media, or if you say the consequent things that pertain to movements and political calculations and events in the United States of America, leftist activists at Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google, they want you to stop it. And they, at least in this case, are going to Congress to request help in making this stick, making their censorship the law of the land. So these are just two examples from this morning. Headlines, yes, you have to take headlines with a grain of salt. Sometimes headlines can be misleading. But we know that we know that we know that freedom of speech is under fire in America. You have congressmen, senators, who see their books being delisted or unpublished or book publishers backing out of deals. You have calls for licenses to practice law being uh, revoked. Let's go ahead and revoke somebody's license to practice law because they questioned the legitimacy of the 2020 election because all the safeties were disabled. It was covid that done the deed. COVID is sus. But leftists at every level overseeing the election process, bypassing safeties at the state and local level, in cities, townships, nothing to see here. How dare you? How dare you undermine the integrity of our elections? You're assaulting democracy. So we're going to cancel your book. We're going to cancel your funding donations from corporations to your political campaigns. We're going to cancel your social media influence. The Ron Paul Institute, as I recently recorded a podcast episode about, was deleted from YouTube temporarily last week. No explanation given except severe and repeated violations of their community standards. What are their community standards that were violated? No clue. And they didn't answer either. But we're all supposed to just conclude from that that these sorts of attitudes and positions and persuasions are not acceptable anymore online. And if they're not acceptable online, they're not acceptable IRL in real life. What is the consequence for curtailing our freedom of speech? Among other things, a consequence is that we make very bad decisions. If we are not able to speak freely and ponder things and critically examine them to whether these ideas have been tried, for instance, what was the effect? Is the proposal being advanced a good fit for the situation? If we're not allowed to freely engage in those kinds of conversations about policies, about people's truth claims, their ideas, where they want everybody to go, well, then the collective is going to go some very dark places that have been tried. There is no new thing under the sun, as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. Everything that is has been before. 
We just didn't remember it. And when we start fiddling with people's ability to speak freely, to reason, to critically examine proposals, positions, statements, ideas, then we intentionally engage in the act of forgetting what the consequences were the last time these ideas were tried. And so we're going to repeat history. We're going to do dumb things again. And the folks who want to censor that kind of dialogue, that kind of public discourse, they will be to blame for it. But so also will those of us who allowed ourselves to be intimidated by them. Is there a cost if you start challenging ideas which are on the rise regarding collectivism, social justice, critical theory, critical race theory? Is there a cost to that? Absolutely. But I would contend that the cost of saying nothing and allowing us all to go to this dark place is much higher. And you could say, well, that's theoretical, and I think you're making too much of this. But one thing I've found engaging in the public discourse myself, in the marketplace of ideas myself for several years now, is that early on when I and others were giving these kinds of warnings, we were dismissed because that'll never happen here. Then lo and behold, predictions start coming true, and it's worse than we even thought, faster than we expected. And then folks start to change their tune. The folks that are in the mushy middle who don't want to do anything to stop it, who don't want to pay a cost themselves, and they don't want others around them paying the cost because they're tenderhearted, for one, but also because it embarrasses them, it shames them for their own inaction, for their own silence. Those folks stop saying, that could never happen here. I think you're worrying too much. And they start saying, there's nothing that can be done about it now. It's heads I win, tails you lose. On the one hand, you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist to say, this is where it's headed. And then when it turns out, yes, you were right. We are headed there faster than we expected, sooner than we realized. The tune changes to just another way of saying, I'm not going to do anything about it. At a certain point, willful ignorance, passivity, and cowardice have to be called out for what they are. And those are fighting words for cowards, for the passive, for the comfortably numb. But that is the tell. If the only time they get exercised to do something, to say something, is when the folks who want to fight this, who have wanted to fight this for years, who saw it coming, call them out, well then you know what side you can expect them to be on moving forward, unless they have a change of heart, which would be great. Another freedom, which is very much in the crosshairs, is the right to bear arms, the right to keep and bear arms. And in the absence of freedom of speech to argue your case, the left will claim that conservatives insisting on keeping and bearing arms are morbidly preoccupied with violence. We're the ones who are dangerous. We're the ones who are domestic terror threats. We're the ones who perhaps 
have no place in society, perhaps should lose our jobs, perhaps should not be friends, perhaps should not be in positions of authority, perhaps should not be in positions of influence, perhaps should not have our books read, our podcasts listened to, perhaps should not be given opportunities to teach, to persuade, to speak. So you can see already how these freedoms are interconnected. And the erosion of one leads inevitably to the erosion of others. I, as a conservative American, as a independent who is theologically, first and foremost, conservative, secondarily, socially conservative, secondarily, fiscally conservative, politically conservative, I am a student of history. And I know that leftists are all about the ballot box until they have power. And once they have power, then they are willing, according to the collectivist mode and and model, they are willing to perpetrate violence against those who dissent, those who object. The collective needs to all go in this direction. And if you disagree, if you challenge it, if you run against somebody who's unpopular, then violence is justified because of the needs of the many. The needs of the many are to maintain the welfare state. The needs of the many are to maintain a Marxist progressive public education system which promotes godlessness, perversity, insanity. You challenging those things is a threat. Even just you disagreeing, using your freedom of speech is a threat. You disagreeing is violence in their minds because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And so if you are vulnerable and if leftists want to show up, say in the instance of an Arizona senator, Kristen Cinema, if they want to show up in the bathroom and film you and harass you and yell at you anywhere you go, everywhere you go, Joe Biden even says, this is normal, this is average, this is nothing to see here. Not everybody has Secret Service protection. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. It's open season on Kristen Cinema until she caves, until she does what we want her to do. Well, that's terroristic. That's illegal. But laws are meant to be changed according to the progressive mode. And if you disagree with the ways that they want to change the laws, the reasons they want to change the laws, well then, maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to go away. Maybe it's time for us to destroy you as a person. The fact that Kristen Cinema is a Democrat is a moot point. She's a traitor. She's a counter-revolutionary. And so maybe we just go ahead and film her in the bathroom and release that online as a way of humiliating her, degrading her, destroying her as a person. It's a kind of raping of a name. It is beneath the dignity of our form of government that this is excused by the President of the United States of America. And so what is it that conservatives believe? They believe that historically, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That's not as bad as it gets, folks. Look at Mao's cultural revolution in China. And consider, again, 
you have college students under investigation for China kind of sus stickers. When you can't disagree with, when you can't contradict, when you can't challenge in a meaningful way, the Chinese Communist Party as a student on an American campus, when you can't even refuse to vote yes on a 3.5 trillion with a T dollar spending package, which is not about building back better. It's about transforming American society along progressive lines as if they have a mandate. Well, they don't have a mandate because they don't even have their entire party on board. They have the thinnest of majorities in the Senate, in the House. And the Democrats are not about democracy. They're not about democracy. Not when Antifa is burning down buildings, not when Black Lives Matter is murdering cops, not when Democrat politicians are for destroying whole groups of people because they disagree. It's not about democracy. That's tyranny. That's totalitarianism. That is us well on our way to Marxism. And so you could say, well, what's the cost, right? In Kristen Cinema's case, the cost of just refusing to vote yes on this irresponsible, immoral legislation package, the cost is that she will be given no rest, no quarter. She will be harassed, pilloried. You might as well just put her in a stockade in the town square and let people throw tomatoes at her. It's open season on Kristen Cinema until she bends the knee. That's the cost. But again, there's a cost on both sides. What's the cost of allowing a United States senator to be treated this way? What's the cost of strong-arming a United States senator to vote for a $3.5 trillion spending package like this? What's that cost? And again, going back to the Second Amendment, what happens when angry leftists are not content to humiliate you? What happens when they get really desperate and they start becoming physically violent with a United States senator even? If they're willing to get physically violent with a United States senator, show up at her house at all hours, try and keep her from sleeping, if they start trying to hurt her and her family as a way of getting her to vote the way they want her to vote, the only thing for it is to dispense justice with up to and including lethal means. But you can't do that if you don't have the right to keep and bear arms protected under the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now you could say, well, there's a big difference, Garrett between you having firearms in your home, which I do, by the way, and a well-regulated militia. You're not part of a well-regulated militia. Therefore, you don't have a right to keep and bear arms. Oh, ho, ho. You can't have it both ways. Because the other trend in recent years has been to try and mock people who are part of well-regulated militias. And you could nitpick and you could say, well, what is well-regulated, right? Let's define all of our terms and let's disagree with calling well-regulated any militia whatsoever, which is not 
expressly, explicitly a part of the United States government. And yet, I could just as easily counter and say, we the people of these United States are, in some form or fashion, the government of the United States of America. We're distinct from, but we're also the ones from whom this government derives its authority in our form of government, in our Constitution. But see, that's just it. Americans who believe in their right to free speech and their right to keep and bear arms, they are not the domestic terrorists here. That is a way of trying to dehumanize political opponents toward the end of destroying them. If you can get it to stick, that Americans who are parents, who are concerned about Marxism and pornography being taught to their little children in the American public schools, if you can get it to stick that they are domestic terrorists and they're under investigation by the FBI, if they make an impassioned stand at their local PTA meeting, if you can get it to stick that they are suspected of domestic terrorism for strongly condemning, for strongly calling for the resignation of school board members, teachers, principals, superintendents who are participating in the peddling of pornography, in the peddling of Marxist ideology to our children, straight, unfettered, undiluted communism being taught to our children to make them little revolutionaries, little Marxists. If you can get it to stick that those parents exercising their freedom of speech and moreover taking very seriously their responsibility before God to train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If you can get it to stick that they're under investigation by the FBI and we can lump them in with the January 6th folks who stormed the Capitol, or rather were let in, invited in for a photo op, but it was a trap, it was a booby trap, it was a setup, it was an ambush to create the optics, which then provide the rationale and justification for curtailing social media, free speech online, political influence, canceling politicians, removing them from office. That was a thing earlier in the year. Let's remove from office any Republican who participated in questioning officially the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Let's call them domestic terrorists. Let's call them insurrectionists. Can we go after them then? If we play with language and we get to define the terms and control the narrative, can we go after them then? Can we arrest them? Can we lock them up indefinitely? Can we deprive them of due process? Can several Capitol Police officers have committed suicide since January 6th, and we're all supposed to just ho-hum that? Can several people who were arrested for supposed involvement in the Capitol Hill breach have died since January 6th while in detention? Can footage have been removed online of the event? Can all of these things be a means to the end of destroying political opposition in this country? And can it be, while all of those things are in fact the case, that conservative Americans who insist on their freedom of speech and the right to keep and bear arms, 
Can they be the domestic terrorists? Or is it in fact those on the left who at present are presenting themselves as Bolsheviks, which is just Russian for the majority. They present themselves as the majority. We speak for the people. Can those folks who make up the supposed majority, but not really the majority, can they be perceived as the rightful authorities? Or are they, in fact, the actual domestic terrorists? I think a strong case exists, a far stronger case exists, that the folks slandering American parents for their exercising of free speech and critical thinking skills and moral fortitude at PTA meetings, the folks calling those parents domestic terrorists are the ones who are themselves domestic terrorists. And oh, by the way, let's not even get into COVID fear-mongering. For a year and a half plus, leftist politicians have tried to use COVID to sow terror for political purposes. They've instituted lockdowns. They've destroyed jobs. They've destroyed lives. All the while, Black Lives Matter and Antifa were let loose on American cities, on American streets. It was open season on cops. It was open season on any community which dared to present itself as a ripe target. Violence, not words or violence, but like physical violence was used to intimidate everyone into subjection in conjunction with lockdowns, mask mandates, now vaccine mandates, and even to disagree, even if you're a doctor, even if you're a scientist, maybe especially if you're a doctor or a scientist, and you question, is this the right way to combat COVID? Are these numbers legit or are they fiddled with? Are they fraudulent? The question whether the 2020 election can be trusted given the fact that the safeguards were all bypassed and then scrutiny was strongly resisted and roundly condemned by the left. In light of all these things, I can only conclude that the left in America is the domestic terror threat and not just a threat, but a fact. A fact exists that the left in this country has been waging a campaign of terrorism against the American people for political ends. They want political power and they're willing to get it and secure it by any means necessary. And there's a cost to letting them do that. Now I can be frustrated when my freedoms are curtailed and when there's a cost to my objecting to my freedoms being curtailed, when I say that's not fair, that's not reasonable, what's this based on, what's driving this? Well, there's a perception, da 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 Well, that perception's not true, objectively, because of X, Y, Z. All of a sudden, I'm engaging in a postmodern discussion where it's subjective, it's not objective. I take very good notes, but the perception is X, Y, Z. Now, is the perception X, Y, Z, or is that just a convenient excuse for you to try and take things away from me? At least for the time being, I've got my 8 a.m. start back. We'll see how that goes moving forward. But I just want to encourage everyone to think long and hard about whether all men are created equal. 
and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Is that true? Because if it is true, then our rights don't come from those who claim authority over us. Our rights come from God. We have responsibilities, yes, but that's the point of preserving your rights because you can't very well fulfill your responsibilities when you don't have any freedom. In order to fulfill your responsibilities, you have to have freedom. You have to exercise your rights. If I have a responsibility to protect my family, but I have no means to do so because those means have been taken away from me by others, how am I supposed to fulfill that responsibility? If I have a responsibility to do work and provide for my family, how am I supposed to fulfill that responsibility unless I insist on maintaining my rights, my freedoms to do so? When those freedoms, when those rights are threatened on a macro level, on a micro level, freedom of speech and the right to keep and bear arms, just for two examples, then so also our responsibilities are threatened. Our ability to fulfill our responsibilities are threatened. But I got to leave it there. Speaking of, I got to run. I've got some fire extinguisher brackets to pick up here in Greeley on my way out to the plant. Some things to think about. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.